Good to see you this morning. Welcome to the guests who are here with us this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the rest that we have in you through Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask and pray your blessing and favor on this time. Lord, as we look to your word, would you um, give us instruction, give us encouragement? Would you grow and strengthen our faith? Would you encourage our faith, the hope that we have today? We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie like this, but there are some movies that you, you don't fully understand it until you get to the end of the movie. And then when you get to the end of the movie, all the pieces that you've been watching all through the movie, they all come together, they all converge, it all makes sense. And then it's really fun to go back and watch that movie again because when you watch that movie the second time, then all the things that you missed they make sense to you. You can see how it's all foreshadowing uh, what's coming at the end of the movie. When we read the Bible, it's like that. That's how we read the Bible. Knowing the end, knowing how the whole Bible points to Jesus helps us make sense of what we read in the Old Testament, and that's especially true of the Sabbath. We're continuing our series through Deuteronomy this morning. We've been working slowly through the Ten Commandments. Today we're looking at the Fourth Commandment. So if you have your Bibles, open back up to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we were just a moment ago. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the Fourth Commandment can be shortly summarized like this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the first verse, verse 12. The fourth commandment, which we read in full just a moment ago, is the longest, it's the most detailed of the Ten Commandments. It's mentioned in the Old Testament more than any of the other commandments. It's clear that the, the principles of rest and worship are important to God. The question that we want to answer today is, how does the fourth commandment apply to us as Christians? Notice carefully, I didn't say if this commandment applies. I said, how does this commandment apply? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the question is not if the fourth commandment applies. The question is, how does it apply for us as Christians? Is it a one-to-one application? In other words, must we do exactly as the Israelites were commanded? Must we offer two lambs as a burnt offering every Sabbath as they were commanded? Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10. Must we keep it on Saturday as they did? Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. Must we put to death everyone who profanes it as they were commanded to do? Exodus 31, verse 14. And if not, why not? If there are differences in how we obey this commandment as Christians, then what is the basis for those differences? The differences are because of Jesus. And time doesn't permit me to give a detailed explanation of how the Old Testament law applies to the New Testament Christian, but that question is crucial to understand how we apply the law, including the fourth 
commandment. I'll direct you to my sermon from Luke 16 that answers that question in greater detail. It's called The Law and the Christian. In short, though, the the whole Old Testament remains valid. It has to be understood and applied in relation to Jesus, to who it points and who fulfills it. The question is not how much of the Old Testament applies to us as Christians. All of it applies. The question is how. To answer that question, we have to understand and apply the Old Testament in light of the person, work, and teaching of Jesus. We read the Old Testament and we apply it in light of the New Testament. We read the the Bible in light of where we are in redemptive history on this side of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So if there are differences in how we apply the Sabbath, they have to be grounded in the New Testament teaching in light of Jesus. So, for example, we don't offer sacrifices as the Old Testament commands because Jesus is our perfect and final sacrifice. We no longer have the sacrificial system of the priests and the temple because those things served as a copy and shadow of heavenly things, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Yet, those parts of the Old Testament law are still profitable and still useful for training us in righteousness. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, Romans 12, 1. All believers are now part of a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9, with Jesus as our high priest, Hebrews chapters 4 through 8. Believers individually and corporately together are the temple of God, where God's Spirit dwells, 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19. What is the point of all of this? The point is that like these other aspects of the law, Jesus transforms the Sabbath law because He is the fulfillment of it. The Sabbath, like all law, points us to Jesus Christ. So we read in Colossians chapter 2, Verses 16 and 17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Mosaic Sabbath law, and that transforms how we understand and apply the fourth commandment as Christians. Now, God rested on the seventh day, Genesis 2, 3, Hebrews 4, 4. And the author of Hebrews is helping us note that that rest, God's rest, was something that humans were meant to share with Him. However, because of the fall, we lost the prospect of that rest. It was broken. And after that, God began to work toward restoring us to His rest. The Sabbath day was one step in that process. It was a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. As Christians, we enter God's rest through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 10 is about. There is a promise of entering God's rest that still remains. Chapter 4, verse 1, verse 6, verse 9. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we enter God's rest, His ultimate heavenly rest. So that's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. That rest is both present and future. We have rest in Christ Jesus now, and we will enter ultimate rest when we reach heaven. Jesus is the substance rather than the shadow. Sabbath is meant to point us to him 
and the true rest that we find in Him. We rest in the finished work of Christ. We cease from our flawed labors trying to earn our salvation by good works. That's the most important way that we keep the fourth commandment, resting in the finished work of Christ and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Now, I say all of that this morning to help us understand that the Sabbath law points to and has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so its application for us has been transformed. Yet, the moral principles that we see in the fourth commandment still apply to us. The moral principles of setting aside one day a week for rest from labor and regular worship still apply. But the day of the week, the death penalty, thankfully, the burnt offerings no longer strictly apply. So we can see in the New Testament, in the beginning of the early church, that the the Lord's day becomes the day on which Christians came to apply the principles of the fourth commandment. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, we see the disciples gathering for worship on the first day of the week. Revelation 1.10 speaks specifically of the Lord's day, the first day of the week. Ignatius of Antioch, he was the bishop of Antioch in Syria. He lived from 35 to 107. He was martyred in 107-ish. He, uh, Antioch in Syria, that's the church where Christians were first called Christians. It's the church that sent out Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. This is just a few decades, right, after uh, Christ. Ignatius of Antioch, in the end of the first century, said, Christians no longer observe the Sabbath, but direct their lives toward the Lord's day, on which our life is refreshed by Him and His death. Justin Martyr, the well-known apologist from the second century, also wrote the church met for worship on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Historically, it's clear by the latter part of the second century that Sunday was the regular day of of Christian worship everywhere, everywhere. This has led many people to conclude that the Lord's Day should be observed as the Christian Sabbath, but strictly speaking, it's more accurate to say that the Sabbath has been fulfilled but we keep its principles of rest and worship on the Lord's day because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and established the new covenant. Now, with all of that being said, what we're going to do today is examine the fourth commandment, what it teaches, and then draw out the principles of application for us as Christians. So the message for us today is, there we go, to keep the principles of the Sabbath by setting aside the Lord's day for rest and worship. We'll unpack the fourth commandment and then draw several applications for how we honor the Lord's day. So first, let's take a look at what the Sabbath uh, meant for them in the Old Testament. Let's unpack our text and see what it means. Verse 12 tells us the what, what they were to do. God says, "'Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you.'" To keep something holy means setting it apart, sanctifying it, setting it apart from common use and reserving it for a sacred purpose. God is saying, don't treat the Sabbath like any other ordinary day. Set it aside for me. Now, in in Exodus 20, verse 8, God says, remember the Sabbath. But remembering the Sabbath is more than just like mentally remembering it. It's more like remembering your anniversary. You don't say... 
on your anniversary like, oh yeah, I remember it's my anniversary today. No, your, your anniversary is a special day. It, it's, it's a day that you set aside to focus on your spouse. You celebrate your relationship. You spend time together. You might go out on a date or, or give a gift. In a similar way, the Sabbath is a way to show their devotion and love for God. The fourth commandment requires us to honor God by observing one day as sacred, devoted to the Lord. Now, verses 13 and 14 tell us the how. How were they to do this? We keep the Sabbath holy. We sanctify it by setting aside one day for rest and worship. God says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. It was a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, Exodus 16, 23. The Sabbath was a special day, kept holy by ceasing from common work and dedicating it to worship. But how do we do this? Well, the first part of this command is often overlooked. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. It's our duty to work. Work is a good thing. We were created to work to live and work on this earth. Of course, not all day, every day, but still, we're to be diligent and productive. The fourth commandment governs our work as well as our rest. It requires diligence on the one hand, and it forbids laziness, wasting time when we're, quote-unquote, on the clock, like looking at social media when we're supposed to be doing our job, whatever our job happens to be, whether it's homework, housework, paperwork, office work, whatever it is. God's given us six days to work, and we have to manage that time well and work productively during those six days if we're going to keep one day holy for rest and worship. Christians should be the most faithful and diligent workers. And keeping the Lord's day holy requires working hard the rest of the week. Of course, we can easily make work into something more than it's meant to be. We can make work and all the material comforts that it, that it brings into an idol. We can begin to depend on ourselves and neglect God's primary claim on our lives. Work can dominate our life and define who we are. The Lord's day forces us to stop and rest, reminds us that we depend on God to provide, Exodus chapter 16. So it's a defense against the idolatry of work and materialism. But God gives us six days for work and one day for worship. The fourth commandment means worshiping the Lord on His day. Like we said, to keep something holy means to dedicate it for worship. So six days are for work and one day is set aside especially for God and His worship. It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God, verse 14. So the first four commands are vertical. They all deal with our obligations to God, and they all deal with worship. So for the first commandment, it's worship God alone. The second commandment, worship God the right way. The third commandment, worship God in everything that you do. Reverence his name in all that you think and say and do. We saw that last week. And this commandment, the fourth commandment, teaches that we are to set aside one day in seven to worship God. This fourth commandment builds those obligations of the first three commandments into the regular pattern of our lives. Leviticus 23, the Sabbath is at the top of the list of God's appointed feasts. Leviticus 23, verse 2. 
Leviticus 23.3 says, Six days you shall, or shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. What's a holy convocation? <laughs> a convocation is an assembly of persons gathered together for a meeting, in this case, for worship. The weekly Sabbath then included a corporate gathering of God's people to worship. The Sabbath is not only a day for worship, it's a day for rest. The word Sabbath comes from a word meaning to cease or to rest. It's a day that's for ceasing from common work. It's not a day for business as usual. It's a day for rest and refreshment. Exodus chapter 23, verse 12. See, God in His mercy has provided us one day in seven to rest, both physically and spiritually, in His goodness and grace to refresh both our bodies and our souls. The day is not meant to be a burden, but a blessing, a blessing to us. As Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2, 27. So the Sabbath then was supposed to be a blessing for all. The rest was for everybody. It was to include children, servants, foreigners, even their work animals. As always, God has his eye on the most vulnerable. Look at verse 14. It says, on it you shall not do any work, you, but not just you, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. The fourth commandment has implications for families because parents have a responsibility to see that their children regularly worship and rest. But the fourth commandment also has implications in a, in a wider societal context. Employers have a responsibility to see that their workers are cared for and not exploited. All were to rest and be refreshed. And that practical reason for the Sabbath is rooted in a deeper theological reason, God's redemption. God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And they were not to treat other people like Pharaoh treated them when they didn't have a day of rest, but had continuous slave labor. So verse 15 gives us the why. The reason why they were to sanctify one day as holy for rest and worship. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It was a day of rest, to remember their salvation with thanksgiving. A day of rest and worship, celebrating God's gracious deliverance. But that's a different reason for keeping the Sabbath than the one that was given in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, the first giving of the Ten Commandments. There, Moses said, the reason was creation. Exodus 20.11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. That's the biggest difference between the Ten Commandments listed in Exodus and the Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy. But those uh, don't conflict with each other. Those two reasons complement each other. There are two reasons for observing the Sabbath. God's creation, rest, and saving grace, our redemption. The first reason for the Sabbath is that God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. 
in doing that, God blessed that day, a day for us to share in His rest. And that work-rest pattern is woven into the created order, but it's deeper than that because this is ultimately, that rest was ultimately about God's eternal rest. The seventh day has no end. Every other day concludes with it was evening and it was morning. The seventh doesn't. God finished his work of creation and he rested, but God didn't stop working. He's still at work in the world. God's rest points in a deeper direction. It's pointed to his ultimate rest that he meant for us to have with him. That is what the author of Hebrews is trying to point us to in chapter 4. It's a rest that we lost in the fall. And God has been working to restore us to that rest ever since. The second reason is because God has redeemed his people from Egypt. That's verse 15. So the Sabbath was a day to remember and celebrate their salvation. And this is where we start to begin to see how the Sabbath points us toward toward Christ and fulfillment in Him. The Sabbath pointed back to God's rest and creation that we were invited to join but lost, and it reminded them of God's redemption and pointed to a head, like Pastor Stephen said a moment ago, to an even greater redemption, an even greater exodus, and a greater rest. It's fulfilled then in the new creation and new exodus in Christ. It points to the rest that we have in Him, Colossians chapter 2, and our ultimate rest in heaven, Hebrews chapter 4. Now, how do we apply this as Christians? How should we apply the fourth commandment? Well, this regular pattern of work and rest with God's worship are moral principles that remain in force for us as Christians. Those principles of rest and worship still apply. And my focus here, I want to focus on what we get to do, not what we have to do. Even though we rest from ordinary work, this doesn't mean it's a day of inactivity. So number one, as we've already seen, working diligently is one of the principles. The other six days of the week, we work we work diligently so that we can set aside the Lord's day, which we already talked about. Second, worship. It's fitting to set aside one day in seven for both corporate and private worship. That special day was Saturday under Moses, but now it's Sunday in celebration of Christ's resurrection. That's why it's called the Lord's Day. Sabbath was a regular reminder that God had saved them, had set them apart as his own treasured possession, uh, Exodus 31, 13, Deuteronomy 4, 20, Deuteronomy 5, 15. That's no less true for us as Christians. It reminded them of their dependence on God as their creator and their redeemer. It was a reminder of the gospel, the good news of salvation. That's no less true for us today, but it points us to Christ and the work that he did. That's why uh, it helps us understand why Jesus so often did great works on the Sabbath. He's announcing through his works that he is the promised Messiah, the Savior, bringing that greater redemption, that greater rest. We're told in the Bible not to neglect meeting together with God's people for worship, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. So included in the Lord's Day is prayer and praise and hearing and reading God's word and and singing and and the sacraments, communion and baptism and, and so on. One of the most important 
habits that we can keep ourselves and that we can pass on to our children is going to church every Sunday. Missing church, missing the Lord's Day should be the exception, the rare exception. Gathering for church should be a top priority for us. It should take a lot for us to knock us off of going to church. Kevin DeYoung, I think, asks a piercing question when it comes to Sunday. He says, is Sunday your day of climax or collapse? Is Sunday the culmination of your week? For a lot of people, Friday and Saturday is the culmination of their week. That's their favorite day. But I think Sunday, the Lord's Day, should be our best day of the week, our favorite day, the day that we look forward to the most. What do we have to do the rest of the week so that the Lord's Day can be the day that we look forward to the most? I think the misunderstanding, part of that misunderstanding comes from seeing Sunday as more of a fast than a feast. It was for rest and refreshment, both physically and spiritually, and that leads to the second, or third, excuse me, application. Third, rest. Part of the intention of the Sabbath rest was man's refreshment. Exodus 23, verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, 14. As we said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus teaches God created the Sabbath to benefit man, not the other way around. Sabbath was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. It's for ceasing from the rat race. So as as a farmer, that meant they don't have to worry about working in the fields. As a businessman today, it might mean not checking your emails. Instead, take a nap, go for a walk, ride your bike, spend time with your family and friends, read the Bible or a spiritual book, spend time in prayer and meditation. God desires this day for man's rest and refreshment physically and spiritually. So things done on the Sabbath should be things that promote life and well-being and refreshment, things that, that all uphold the honor and worship of God. We live such harried lives, and we have to trust Christ enough to stop and rest. We're so busy, so fast-paced, we run ourselves ragged. We often feel stressed and overwhelmed, and it's like, Can I just have a break? I need a day for a break. And God says, I've given it to you. It's the Lord's day. I remember my my first semester in seminary, I was working as a pharmacist. I was going to grad school full time. We were planting this church and we just had our first baby. It was crazy busy, crazy But I decided to set aside Sunday as a day of rest, trusting that the Lord was going to make up for it on the other days with more efficient work so that all the work would get done. And he did. Sunday became my favorite day of the week. The day, the only day, really, of of rest and refreshment. We have to trust Christ enough to stop and rest. It's a day off, a day off the clock to stop the frenzy and to rest and be refreshed. The Pharisees came up with a bunch of rules for things that they could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. They did that because they wanted to obey God, but in doing so, they turned what was meant to be a blessing into a burden. That's a mistake that people who desire to observe Sabbath principles 
fall into again and again. Why? I think it's because we think of the Sabbath as a fast rather than a feast. Leviticus 23 tells us, though, that the weekly Sabbath day was one of the Lord's appointed feasts for sacred assembly. It's a day for rest and worship, but a day for feasting and fellowshipping with God's people, a day for singing and rejoicing and refreshment. The point is that the Sabbath is to be a, a gathering of God's people locally as a regular feast of celebration. They didn't get to do that in Egypt. They worked relentlessly. This joyous nature of the Sabbath is confirmed in the prophets. <laughs> the loss of it is, is presented as a judgment. It's something that the prophet Jeremiah laments, Lamentations 2.6. Not having the Sabbath was a reason to grieve. So the Lord's Day should be marked by rejoicing and gratitude and celebration and feasting and fellowship and worship. We know the early church spent time feasting and fellowshipping on the Lord's Day. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we learn the early church had this meal together where they participated in communion, the Lord's Supper, as a part of it. They called it a love feast, Jude 1, 12, and it was robust. I mean, this is a big deal. Paul doesn't rebuke them for the feasting, but for the selfishness of it. Some of them were getting drunk and other people were going hungry. His problem was not the feasting. It was the fact that they were leaving out the poor. The Lord's Day was a feast, not a fast. It's a gathering of God's people to rejoice and give thanks to God. They're fitting. It's why we have a fellowship meal. It's why we practice hospitality. It's why we fill our worship with song and our tables with laughter because we have a source of hope and joy that cannot be quenched. We have something to celebrate together, something worth celebrating every week with great joy. So let's not miss the greatest pleasure in all of this, fellowship with the living God. For mercy, the Sabbath was a mercy for servants and sojourners so that they may rest as well with you, it says. This is one of the things the Pharisees missed. Jesus' example in teaching shows us it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's fitting on the Lord's day to do acts of mercy, benevolence, and to give to those in need. So Paul told the Corinthian church to take up a collection every Lord's day, on the first of every week, as, a, as an offering to help the church in Jerusalem, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. The Lord's day is about the good news of God's grace and mercy. And what better way to display that is to extend God's grace and mercy to other people. Lastly, rest in Christ. That's the ultimate aim. It's the most important principle. We keep the fourth commandment by resting in the finished work of Christ. We enter God's ultimate rest by faith. We cease from trusting our works and trusting Christ alone for our salvation. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, every day I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit and begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. It's a weekly reminder that salvation is not your own work. Amen? We rest from sin. We rest from guilt. We rest from works as a means of our own righteousness. We rest every day in the finished work of Christ. It's a reminder we enter that rest, God's rest, through faith. The Lord's day anticipates that. It points us to that. So the Sabbath was a, a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. Because Christ is the fulfillment, Christians are free from observing feast days like the Sabbath, yet the principles of the Sabbath 
were appropriated early on for the Lord's Day. So the Lord's Day then is a day to gather for worship, a day to rest from work and be refreshed, a day for mercy, and most importantly, a reminder to find our spiritual rest in Christ every day of the week. Every Lord's Day, we rest and we worship. We focus on what we get to do. We get to rest. We get to worship. We get to fellowship. We get to show mercy. We get to study God's word. We get to pray. We get to refresh our bodies and our souls in the goodness and grace of God. So what should it look like? Our attitude should be one on the Lord's day of of worship and delight and hope. And our priorities should be worship, devotion to the Lord, hearing God's word, singing his praise, feasting and fellowshipping with God's people, resting and refreshment and mercy. So when you think about what to do on Sunday, ask yourself, is is this going to help us or hinder us in these things? The Lord's Day is a day of rest and worship with feasting and rejoicing because Jesus Christ rose victorious from the grave and he brings a new creation and a greater redemption. It's a foretaste every single week. It's a foretaste of God's ultimate rest that he prepared in creation, that we lost in the fall, but it's been restored in Jesus Christ. Let's make it the best day of the week. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for sending Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. We thank you that we find our rest in Jesus Christ, your son. God, we ask and pray that you would help us to honor you on the Lord's day every week. God, that you would refresh us, that our worship would please you, that it would be a blessing. God, let it be a a constant reminder of what's to come, this ultimate rest that we look forward to in heaven. Oh, we long for that day, Lord. We long for that final rest. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.